uh, you guys remember Pastor Juan who spoke at Breakaway? He had, yeah, can I, can I, let me hear that again. Can I hear your, um, I don't care if he, li- he watches this later, but my brother Juan likes to steal my stuff. He do. He be stealing my swag. But he's got his kids, Cruz and Jay, his two boys, uh, they've got them screaming A-O in the car. They sent it to me the other day. I didn't play it because I didn't want to burst your eardrums. Because they're little boys, and little boys scream just like little girls. Guys, I'm so excited. Uh, we're wrapping up this series, Better Than Life, a study in Psalm 63. Everybody's saying, aw. Today's the last night. But you know what's really good about technology is you can go back and rewatch all of these. If you haven't been with us... Throughout the last month, we have been looking into Psalm 63. Psalms is a book in the Bible. It's 150 of these books within this book called Psalms. And these writers, one of them being the most famous writer is King David. David, the one that slayed giant, you know, slayed a giant, Goliath, right? We know him to be that. But in Psalm 63, we find this this soon-to-be-anointed king uh, as a refugee and as a runaway. He is hiding and running for his life. Why? Well, because this king, Saul, wants to kill him through jealousy, through paranoia, or scholars like to debate that he's running for his life from his own son, Absalom. And he's not just running, like, just hiding in, like, people's houses, couch surfing. No, he's hiding in the wilderness, Theologians, scholars say that this is what they call the wilderness years of David. He finds himself in the wilderness, kind of like what you saw in that bumper video. Some of those um, uh, clips are actually from the Judean wilderness. So David finds himself in a pretty tough spot. And we've been studying and diving into this phrase that David says, your loving kindness is better than life. Itself. That's where we get the name of our series, Better Than Life. What would make David say something like this when he's in the worst moment and season of his life? What, what is better than life? What is better than security? What is better than not living in the wilderness? And he's quite literally saying it's God's love. And so I, I can't go through all of it, but go back and rewatch these on our YouTube channel so you can catch up. But y'all ready to get to the Word tonight? If you got your Bibles, wave it up in the air like you just do care. You got your Bibles? The reason, like, hey, go ahead. Yeah, you good? If you got a glow Bible, if you got a Bible that, that needs to be charged, that's fine. That's fine. But I love God's Word. I love having a physical copy of God's Word there's just something powerful of just having it in your hand that's not a phone. Because phones get distracting. You be, you, listen, y'all just be wanting to scroll. You're so programmed that you don't even know why you want to scroll. Y'all just be itching. I need to do something. By the way, happy late birthday. It was your birthday. Yeah. Jamadi. Wait. This is so bad, and this is not good preaching, but let's do the really quick birthday song. Hey, one, two, three. This is your birthday song, and it is really. Happy birthday. Was there anybody else's birthday like the past like week or two? I was like, dang, Kiana, it was your birthday? All right, well, there you go. You're all special. Happy birthday. All right. If you've got Psalm 63, go ahead, pull it up on your phone. Get, get to it in your physical Bible. Psalm 63. If you don't know where Psalms is, just literally put your thumb in the middle of your Bible, open it up, boom, Psalms. I promise it works every time. Don't at me, though, if it doesn't. Don't at me, though. Psalm 63, if you got it, say, uh-huh. If you're ready to read it, say, oh, yeah. Come on, would you stand for the reading of God's Word tonight? Stand for the reading of God's Word. We are going to be Psalm 63. Verses 7 through 11 tonight. Go ahead and give it to me. Here we go. Actually, one more slide over. Keep going. Keep going. Actually, no, go back. 
I love it. Here we go. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you've been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. We talked about this last week. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Who remembers that from last week? Here's where we pick up tonight. We're going to end the series. So we're going all the way to verse 11. It says this, but those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. Next slide. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Lord, this is your word, not mine. This is your heart. This is your voice communicated to your children. So don't let me preach it in a way that you intended to be preached tonight, God, as we dive into what it means to trust you despite trouble. Lord, open up our hearts, open up our ears, open up our minds to receive what you have for us tonight, because anything you give is a good gift. Help us be good disciples by paying attention tonight and not being distracted by anything else, because nothing else really matters. In Jesus' name, everyone says, go ahead, find your seat. Go ahead and find your seat. So trust despite trouble. It's the next, should be the next few slides. Trust despite the trouble. Let's go back. It says, but those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by sword. They shall be portions for jackals. Let's look at that first part. So if you don't know, lately we've been going verse by verse, almost word for word, trying to uncover and discover and investigate what it is that the psalmist here is trying to say. What is David trying to say? Because sometimes when we read the Bible, we like to read it in these really big portions. It's like taking a really big bite out of food. It just takes you a while to chew it. But if you take a smaller bite, you're able to really get all the flavors. That's kind of the way we've been going at Psalm 63, kind of breaking it down. So line for line, word for word, and I encourage you as you study and read your Bible on your own time, which I highly encourage because you are a disciple, you are a follower of Jesus, it's what we do. Read your Bible on your own time, and don't just read a whole book, a whole chapter, just read five verses and say, God, what are you trying to say in these five verses? So that's what we're doing tonight. It says this, first slide, but those who seek my life to destroy it, we're going to leave it right there. I'm going to leave it right there. David's deep communion with God did not take away his problems. But those who seek my life to destroy it. See, here's this. Relationship with God doesn't take away problems. It gives his presence in the midst of problems. So, like, there's still an enemy, right? There's still problems out there. Presence in the midst of problems. Presence in the midst of Oh, problems. Go ahead, show that next slide. Presence in the midst of problems. Say presence in the midst of problems. Presence in the midst of problems. That's what God promises to us. You know, there were still people that wanted to kill him. Right? I, I introed this earlier. I said either David was running from the king that he has faithfully served, or he's running from his own son that's trying to rebel against him. Either way, people try to kill him. He's on a hit list. And so here he is running for his life. But in this moment, like we've seen in, in the last few weeks, he's in the presence of God. He's welcomed God's presence. He's praising. He's worshiping. But guess what? Problem didn't go away. The second he said, God, you are my God. I earnestly seek for you. It wasn't like right away God's like, you know what? Because you said that, I'm going to kill everybody that's trying to kill you. And you can go back to living a good life. No. No, he still has people wanting to kill him. He still has to run for his life. There's still an enemy out there that wants to trick you. And so this, this idea that some of us tend to get, when we hear the good news about Jesus, is that if we start following Jesus, all of our problems go away. All of our problems disappear. And, and I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but that's not the case. The Bible actually promises 
bad things that happen to you. But what does he promise? He promises his presence in the midst of problems. His presence in the midst of problems. So when you find yourself in trouble, what David is showing us here, that even in trouble, God's presence can be there. And if we're in his presence, and if we have his love and his kindness, that's all you and I need. The enemy wants to trick us, wants to convince us that sin isn't a big deal. That's one way that we can look at our problems. And like what the enemy loves to do is make it seem like it's not a big deal. And some of us have said that to our parents. We're like, your parents catch you with a vape. Am I talking? I, I don't have to be talking to anybody in this room. I'm just saying, your parents catch you with a vape. And you say, mom, it's not a big it's not a big deal. It's not like I'm smoking weed, right? Or they catch you doing something else, or they catch you with someone else, or they catch you in a lie, just a little lie. Did you clean your room? Yes. They come home. They find out you didn't clean your room, and you didn't bring the chicken out of the freezer for it to eat off for, for dinner. You know what I'm saying? You lied, oh, but it's not a big sin. Is a huge deal, and the enemy will start to gain a foothold and start gaining ground in your life if he has convinced you that the sin that you are in or do isn't a big deal. And then all of a sudden, you're surrounded by problems. And now you don't know how to find your way out. But God is promising his presence in the midst of problems. Say, presence in the midst of problems. God has promised us. Check out Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Check this out. This is a promise that God will be with us always. So you're like, okay, that's kind of depressing. You just told me if I follow Jesus, all my problems are not going to go away, and if anything, are going to get worse. Yes, here we go. Deuteronomy 31. But listen, here's what God says. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. Who's them? The enemy. It says, for the Lord, your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not what? Or what? I'm with you. I'm with you. Later on in scripture, it says, in this world, you will have trouble. But somebody finish it for me. But take heart for I have. You will have trouble. He literally says it. Hey. You're going you're gonna to have trouble, but take heart. But take heart. But take heart. So in the midst of your problems, you and I have access to his presence. Let's go to the next line, right? So we see this say, we see, but those who seek my life to destroy it. And then he goes on to, to declare something, right? He says this, shall go into the lower parts of the earth shall go into the lower parts of the earth. Like, notice the word shall. Did, did, did he say hopefully? Did he say maybe? Did he say kind of, sort of? No, so David is like, this is the part of Psalm 63 where like David, like, I picture him in the beginning kind of sitting and crying. And now he's like, hold on, wait a minute. I, I know whose presence I'm in. I know the God that I serve. I know who, I'm, who I've uh, declared allegiance to. So here's what I'm going to say. Those who want to try to destroy me, shall. Say shall. The word shall means expressing a strong assertion or intention. This is like in reference to the grave. This is what he's talking about. Like, he's referencing the grave. He's referencing hell. So when you see this, and it says, shall go into the lower parts of the earth, it, shall, it tells me this. Our enemy's fate has already been decided. Our enemy's fate has already been decided. What do I mean by that? He's lost. He's lost. In the New Testament, we see something amazing happen. We see Jesus dying on the cross, being resurrected on day three, defeating Sin, death, hell, and the grave. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, our fate has been decided. When we follow Jesus, we're, we know where we're going. 
But when you and I face issues and when you and I face our enemy, do you know that we can almost laugh in his face? You know, we can almost like troll. Like, yeah, you could do that. But in the end, you lose. In the end, God wins. In the end, God's a conqueror. In the end, God saves. In the end, I'm already saved. Our enemy's fate has already been decided. Right? So he's referencing the grave and he's referencing hell because that is where the enemies of God belong and will return to. That's their final destination. That is their fate. The only person who has ever conquered the grave and was not bound to it was Jesus the Christ. This is our hope. That because God is a God of justice, in his timing, he will deal with our enemies. They shall. Say they shall. It's not an option to God. Because he is a just God. He is a God of justice. He is a judge. And in his timing, in his timing, he will lay down a verdict that will be death to death. Death to sin. Death to the enemy. So you and I can celebrate in the midst of problems, in the midst of trouble. You and I can almost celebrate and shout and worship because, listen, the enemy that has come against you is also coming against God. And God is not a loser. And he's never lost a battle. He is on a winning streak. He has a better legacy than the New England Patriots. He's got a better legacy than the, than the it hurts to say it, but the 90s Bulls. He's got a, bit, a better winning record than the Golden State Warriors. He's got it. He's undefeated. He has never lost. So when you decide to follow Jesus and trouble comes your way, you don't have to stress. You don't have to be all, all uptight about it. Because if you follow Jesus and you understand his word, then you know, oh, wait a minute. I'm a winner. I'm a winner in this. God's got me in this. I've got nothing to worry about. Our enemy's fate is already decided. Let's, let's go to the next line. So he says, they shall go to the deep dark depths of the earth, right? They shall go below. And he's talking about hell. Then he says this. I like this kind of David. This is where we see David, like the warrior in him. He says, they shall fall by the sword. They shall fall. The most gangster moment in the Bible. I don't care what nobody says. There's like, there's like plenty of thug moments in the Bible that like you read, you're like, dang, that guy's tough. Nothing says I'm a gangster than a shepherd boy showing up to a battle when he was just trying to give his brothers lunch. David shows up, and he's got some stones, he's got some smooth rocks, and he's got a sling. And he looks at this giant in the face, the most gangster moment. And when I read this, it blew my mind because this is crazy. He's like, you know, how dare you defy the Lord's armies today? Today, I'm going to cut your head off. Pause. If I'm David, like, or if I'm one of David's boys and I'm in the back because I'm scared of this big old giant, I'm going to be like, David, um, with what? What are you finna cut his head off with? He's like, with your sword. This is crazy. He's like, he's like, I'm going to cut your head off with your sword. That is the most gangster thing. And he does, which tells me this, what the enemy tried to use to destroy you, God is going to use to build you up. God is going to use to send you. God is going to use for his glory, for your benefit, for the advancement of the kingdom. So the thing in your life that looks huge and scary, that looks like it's going to defeat you, if, if you know that God is on your side, then you have nothing to worry about. Because what the enemy is meant to destroy you, God is going to use to build you. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. You're like, man, that sin in my life, it just seems too big for me. There's going to come a day when you are freed from that. And then that same weapon that was, was used to try to cut you down and hurt you and destroy you, now you get to share your story. Now you get to share your testimony. We've seen the Palecki brothers come up here and do that. We've seen other people come up and share their story. At one point, that was a giant that they looked in the face. But as they stand up here with a microphone, now it's a head that they hold saying, this is what the enemy used to try to destroy me. Now this is a testimony that my God saves, that my God delivers, that my God is faithful, that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. He paraded the head of Goliath down the city streets, shouting, and, and people were shouting and celebrating that look what God did. 
God can do that in your life. God can do that in your life. David trusted God to deal with his enemies. Like, I, this, my grandparents are so full of faith, and I hope to be like them when I'm older. But, like, they don't trip about anything. Like, they really don't. Like, you can bring the worst situation to them, and then, like, it's almost annoying how much faith they have. <laughs> I don't worry about it. We're going to pray, and then he's going to be. It's finished. Let it be done. Right? <laughs> like, my grandparents pray at, like, 3 or 4 a.m. every day for the grandchildren. Now they pray for their great-grandchildren. But they pray, and their faith is so big. David trusted God to deal with his enemies. God, listen, God, I, I, I know that the enemy is in front of me, but I'm going to trust that you're going to deal with them. They may be bigger than me, but they're not bigger than you. This sin might be bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you. I trust that you're going to help me. So for David, it was especially with King Saul. I know that you're going to help me, God. In God's time and in God's way, David's enemy did fall by the sword, which has a sense of being killed in battle is what we're talking about. I want to get into this next part. It says they shall, say shall. So we see some things. They shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. And here's another shall that he says. They shall be a portion for jackals. Once again, I have no idea. I thought a jackal was like a kind of dog, and it kind of is. I got a little stumped on this, so I had to hit up a friend of mine. I had to hit up a friend of mine. If you don't know who it is, he is a very good pastor friend of mine. His name is Pastor Vocab. Uh, he really helped me with this. So go ahead. We text. So I like to put his text messages on blast. Let's go ahead and show our text message. I said, he said, hey, yo, he's been watching. So I asked him, can a jackal be a pet? He said, please tell me you didn't kidnap a jackal. I said, no, right? But they look dope. He said, listen, Psalm 63 talks about them for a reason. They are not pets. I was like, okay. All right. So I did some Google searching. I said, why not? He says, because they eat dead things. I said, so does Darla. If you don't know who Darla is, that is my dog. Darla tends to find dead birds in our yard and think that they're like the newest Petco toy. And so like just throw it around. She thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. And he wasn't, uh, he didn't laugh at that. He said, not the same thing. Listen. The jackal will eat just about anything, but only fight when it can easily overpower. I was like, that's crazy. What else? Good show. He says, in the ancient world, it was known for devouring the dead and dying that lay on the battlefield after dark. I was like, oh, Psalm 63, verse 10. Okay, he said, exactly. Jackals also represent people, hmm, with hidden motives, are sneaky, and prowl on the weak and hurting. They live in darkness. Look out for those people. Pause. Um, I didn't get time to, to bring up a jackal, but a jackal is not like, like a dog. It almost, it's like a dog-fox hybrid. And they're sneaky, just like kind of foxes are. And if they smile at you, it is the creepiest Creepiest smile ever. So on your own time, look up what jackals look like. Some of them are kind of cute when they're puppies, right? But Pastor Vocab was like, they're not pets, all right? So he also says in biblical texts that they represent certain type of people. I was like, dang. So the moral of the story, I said, is David is saying God will destroy our enemies and leave them to destroy what's left of themselves. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. I'll say it again. So... The enemy that is already defeated, God will, God will wipe them out. And then this evil thing named the jackal who also will eat the dead is eating the dead. So now that you get that, right, because the enemy can't build, they can only what? Okay, so moral of the story, David is saying God will destroy our enemies and leave them to destroy what's left of themselves. Because jackals fed on dead bodies. And they would leave nothing left. I mean, they were bone pickers. He said, what else? So he started gassing me up. I said, David is declaring victory and trusting that God will save him. Save him. Trust despite trouble. He was gassing me up. He said, look at you learning and stuff. I did roll my eyes at that. He said, remember, 
Jackals leave nothing behind. God won't just win the battle. There won't be a trace of the enemy left. That got me fired up. God's not just about winning. He's about slaughter ruling. He's like, he's like I'm not going to let them score another point. I'm not going to let them score a point. It's going to be 100 to 0 by the time the fourth quarter ends. He said, remember, jackals leave nothing behind. God won't just win the battle. There won't be a trace of the enemy left. I said, yo, that's tough. That's tough. That's the power of our God. He said, I'm not just going to win. I'm going to wipe them out. And the day will come where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess going to happen. I said, yo, that's tough. He says, on God. I said, appreciate you. He then says this to y'all. See you all for summer nights at Excel. Little promo. That. So say, thank you, Pastor Volcab. Maybe he might make a, you know, he might show up one night. Who knows? Our God's a winner. That's why we can trust him despite trouble. Say trust despite trouble. We can trust him because he's never lost. It's like when you, as a little brother or a middle child, when you're at school and you're about to get into a fight, a lot of us say, my big brother can beat you up. I utilize that tool all the time. I was that middle brother that would get into arguments and I would just be staring at people. I had the bad tendency, Sophie, I had the bad tendency of when people looked at me, I would look at them until they stopped looking at me. Right? So if you're looking at me, and, like, I'm walking, like, at the hip, like, if we're at the hip, and I'm headed to the van store, and you're, like, headed the other way to five below, right? You're there, and you're staring at me, I'm doing these. That was me in high school. Who else? Who else got a staring problem? Come on. It's all right to admit it. I got into a lot of altercations because of that. One time in high school against a guy named Travis. Travis was this big old dude, this big old buff white boy named Travis. South Elgin High School. This dude was crazy. He was known for just being crazy. One time he gave himself a black eye because his girlfriend broke up with him. He gave himself. He was like, you can't leave me, Bethany. Right? Like this is, I don't know what her name was. <laughs> I don't know what her name was, but it was, it was some like Jersey Shore type stuff. Like, babe, no, right? So this guy was crazy, and for some reason, it was my freshman year, so when you, like, you're a fr- freshman, don't do this. But I was, I was a freshman, I had just moved from Chicago to South Elgin, and I, I, like, I just didn't like anybody. And so every day, on my way to gym, and on his way out of gym, we would cross paths, and he would just stare at me like that. So I would stare at him, finally I got tired of it. But I'm like, he could eat me up. If he gave himself a black eye, what could he do to me? So you know what I did? I called on the great powers of Pastor Juan Marty, my older brother. And what he did was crazy. One day I said, Juan. He said, what? I said, hey, yo, listen. There's this fool named Travis. And he's been staring at me. And I don't like it. I'm trying to, like, make it seem like it's all Travis. When really it's just me. I said, hey, yo, listen. Like, he's trying to intimidate me, man. You got you to help me out. You got to do something. He goes, he's trying to scare you? Like, yeah, man, he's trying to. So we start walking, and Travis is in this little balcony. This says, I'm going to try to tie this into the message, but I'm just telling a story. He's up there with this girl, you know, leaning up against a railing. And my brother Juan says this. He goes, hey, yo, Travis, in front of everyone. Hey, yo, Travis. I can't do it because he's got such a deep voice, kind of like a Pastor Joey voice. It's just like, hey, yo, Travis. And, and I was like. I thought he was just going to be like, hey, man, like, you trying to scare my brother? Like, what's going on? No. No, he was loud and proud. Like, hey, yo, Travis. And Travis looks around, does one of these. What? He goes, hey, you messing with my little brother, man? And he's like, no, man. I'm like, yeah, you want what's up? Like, this is my brother? <laughs> right, right, hey, yo, hey, yo, listen, this was, this was BC, it was BC, it was BC, it was BC, so he, he's like, no, man, I'm not messing, hey, man, if you ever look at my brother again, we got problems, I don't, I don't want you seeing or looking at him ever, don't look at him, don't think about him, don't do nothing, when he walks by you, you look forward, and I'm like, this is crazy, 
this is crazy right now. Travis, like, Travis ain't never been yelled at by a brown person before, so <laughs> this is probably the first time he's ever interacted with one. He's got PTSD right now. He's scared. He, be, he dreams of my brother Juan right now. He has nightmares. But Travis never looked at me again. Travis never talked to me. He, like, if anything, one time he was like, one time he, like, nicely was like, what's up, man? <laughs> I was like, he just, he just called me bro, right? Right? The devil is big and bad until God speaks up. The, the devil can harass you, and he can stare you down and try to intimidate you. But in the same way that that problem didn't necessarily go away, in the sense of Travis went to that school. But it wasn't until I called on a higher power where I found peace in the presence of trouble. My brother brought clarity to that situation. That guy never looked at me again. In the same way, when God opens his mouth, it is a roar. It is thunder. It is lightning. That's God. And his voice and his power will take anybody, anything in your life and make it feel this small. Travis, if you're watching this, I love you, man. And I don't know if if you ever watch this, I'm sorry. It's my fault. It's my fault. Please don't give yourself another black eye. <laughs> God's good, amen. Let's keep going. The next one says, but, but the king, here's another, here's another shall, but the king shall rejoice. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Not maybe, not kind of, sort of, not hopefully. He's not saying, but the king hopefully will rejoice in God. He's not saying everyone who swears by him kind of or sort of glory, but the mouth of those who speak lies maybe might be stopped. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying at all. If we tend to think about God's being passive, you're wrong. God is not passive. God is not passive. God is aggressive because he hates sin and he hates the enemy. I'm glad he does. I'm glad he's not a passive God. I'm glad he doesn't look at my sin and go, man, yeah, I guess it kind of sucks. I guess kind of Adam and Eve kind of ruined it for you. But uh, yeah, good luck with that, man. No, no. David is declaring something once again. David was not yet on the throne If we remember from week one, David was anointed at a young age. He was the last pick. But he nonetheless was anointed to be the future king of Israel. But David is not on the throne. He's not on the throne yet. He's running from his life from King Saul. So as David was not on Israel's throne and that promise still waited many years for fulfillment, yet it was a promise nonetheless. It was a promise nonetheless. God's promises are yes. And amen. Yes, and amen. So in 1 Samuel 16, we see this story unfold that he's anointed. He is going to be the king. So by faith, David could dare to think himself as the king. He's not on the throne, he's not in a palace, he's not in the city, he's not anywhere. He's in a cave. And yet, and yet we see, throw that verse, go ahead, leave that verse up. Yet we see, but the king shall rejoice. So who is he talking about? He's not talking about Saul. Saul K, right? He's talking about himself. So by faith, David could dare to think of himself as the king. And that daring faith, rejoice in God. He's like, God, you promised this to me. You anointed me for this. You promised me for this. God has promised to sustain you. God has promised to help you. We learned this last week. God has promised to uphold you with his righteous right hand, to be with you every step of the way. That's the promise that you and I can cling to. Then he goes on to say, everyone who swears by him shall glory, but the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. The sense of 
swears by him, when we see the little phrase, swears by him, it is this. It's to trust God and place our confident love in him. Men, like me joining the army, we take oaths. We make promises. We take oaths upon what they hold, what we hold dear to us, right? Like I, I made an oath to my country. The contrast to trusting God is to lie. The contrast to trusting God is to lie. So we resort to lies when we don't trust God. Now, I'm not saying that you're the liar. What I'm saying is if your trust is not in God, then your trust is something else. And that thing is a lie. That thing cannot help you. That relationship cannot help you. That substance cannot help you. That way of thinking cannot help you. And so what you do is instead of trusting God, you resort to the lies of the enemy, the lies of the world, that it's not a big deal, that you're fine, that one day it's going to end, that or it'll never end, so there's no point in asking God to help you. You're always going to deal with it. You are always going to be addicted. You are always going to feel sad. And so instead of trusting God, we believe those lies. So I'm not calling you the liar. But what I'm saying is that instead of trusting God, you're not trusting anything else other than lies. And we know lies to be evil. And we know lies to be fake. And we know lies to be wavery. They're not solid. It's not a foundation. You can't build a house on a lie. You can build a house on the word of God. You can build a house on your relationship with God. Trust in him. Trust in him. Don't trust in the lies of the world. It's just only going to lead you to separation. One of these paths, so it talks about glory. They shout glory. So there's two paths to glory. One of these paths has a future glory for us, and the other path will be stopped. So if we look at that again, it says, everyone who swears by him shall glory, but the mouth of those who speak lies shall be what? So what path are you on? Are you on the path to glory? Are you on the path to God's strength, to God's glory, to the fullness of God? Because whether you know it or not, believe it or not, you are going somewhere. You are on a path. You are on a journey. At this age, you are on a path. Your journey doesn't start when you graduate high school. Your journey doesn't start when, when you start a family. You get married. You have little dot bots. Like your journey, your journey has already started. Once you accept Jesus into your life, once, honestly, once you're born, once you're born, your path has already started. Your journey's already started. Once you accept Jesus into your life, then you've decided to go onto the path of glory. What is the other side? It's separation. So all that winning all that rah, 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 all that God's great, all that God's awesome. Do you know that means nothing to you if you're not on his team? Do you know, do you know that glory isn't for you then? It's like somebody on the losing team hanging out in the, in the championship parade. Like, it's not for them. They can't really enjoy it. Well, we, what we could do, this is my nose, what we could do is some of you in here, you are the one friend that's on a path to being stopped on a path of lies, but you have another friend that's on the path to glory, and because they're on the winning team, you celebrate with them thinking that it's for you. Like people that like, you know, now that the, the Denver Nuggets won, they're like, we won. Like, no, you sat on your couch. There's no we. There is no we. But somehow we feel this attachment what I'm saying is this. Listen, you're either on the path of glory, on the path of lies, and lies is going to lead you to destruction. Separation from God. So you have to make a decision if you haven't already done that. You need to make a decision tonight. What path am I going to? So I'm just going to be blunt. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. The question isn't, am I going to live forever? Because you are. That's what scripture says. You have an eternity. The question is, where are you going to spend that eternity? David is saying, if you put your trust in God, there's one place that you are going to go. And that's the glory. That's before the throne of the Father. 
So this whole, Ara, can you, can you come up? This whole series, I'm going to sum it up into this. There is a love from a Savior that is better than life. This better than life love can only come from Jesus. When you find yourself in trouble, declare God as your God, week one. Seek him, worship him, week two. And watch as your enemies are defeated and your strength returns, week three and week four. God's love is better than life. God's love is better than life. And until you experience that love, you are missing out. Until you experience that love, you will continue to try to find things that will satisfy you. And it will not. And it cannot. I'm being real with you. This isn't some youth pastor bull. This isn't like something that like I went to school for and, and I'm just getting a paycheck. This is your life. This is your life. I'm so passionate about your life. I'm tired, of the, I'm tired of your generation being labeled as lost, never to be found. I'm tired of, of, of your generation being labeled as misfits or people that are following false gods. And so I've dedicated my life to preaching this good news that there is a God who sent his only son to save you. You might be sitting here tonight saying, I, I didn't know to be saved. You well, listen, you may not know this, but you're a sinner. And sin can't be anywhere near God. And so when we die without the saving knowledge of Jesus and the confession of our mouth and heart, then we go to hell. That's it. This message, people don't like preaching this kind of message anymore because it's abrasive and it's hard, but I love you too much not to tell you the good news that you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to lose. You can make a decision right now to follow Jesus. That might not mean your problems go away. It might mean that they do. What it will mean that if you die tonight, you will spend eternity in peace, in glory, in love, without sickness, without pain, in the presence of God himself, the creator. How do we get that? How do we get this better than life love? that sees me and all the mistakes that I made and are making and are going to make and it still chooses me? This love still chooses, God still chooses me despite all my mistakes? That's better than life love. So my heart for you tonight is to seek him, worship him, trust him. I'm inviting you into that moment. And watch as your enemies are defeated and your strength returns. This has been a study in Psalm 63. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you that you're able to speak to us through these pages. That it's not just ancient text or historical text. It is your heart. It is your voice. It is your word. We see in John 3.16 that you loved the world so, so very much that you gave your one and only son that if anyone were to believe in him would not perish, not be eaten by jackals, not be left in the field of battle, but would see glory, but would be saved. So tonight, God, We put our trust in you. And I'm asking you in this moment to speak to the hearts of every person here. To not wait for tomorrow because tomorrow is not promised. If they are on the path to lies tonight, God, help them get off the path and get them on the path of glory. Get them on the path of trusting in Jesus, of following Jesus. A path that will lead them straight to you. Eternal life. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and eyes closed. I'm not going to emotionally manipulate you. I've said the word. God's going to do what he wants to do in your heart. So here's the deal. There's some of you here. You are on the path of destruction. And this is your warning. 
And this is your invitation to follow Jesus instead. You've tried everything else and nothing is working. Nothing is working. Try Jesus. Try Jesus and I promise you, you'll be fulfilled. I promise you, you'll never feel alone. You'll always know that God is with you. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three. And there's, and there's a voice in your heart and in your head telling you right now that what's happening in the room doesn't apply to you, that it doesn't matter. But I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you want to follow Jesus for the first time tonight. And everything inside of you is going to try to keep your hand from being raised. But that is a lie. That is a lie. That's a trick. A lie that says you're okay without it and you're not. You're not okay. You're not okay. But that's okay. Because God wants to help you. So on the count of three, if you want to accept the invitation to be a Christ follower, to follow Jesus, to be saved tonight for the first time, I want you to raise your hand and put it right back down. No one looking around, just me and some of the leaders. One, God loves you. Two, everything about you. Three, if that's you, just throw your hand up. Just throw your hand up. Awesome, I see that. I see that right back there. I see that right here. Maybe you're like, I haven't been living for God right. And you're raising your hand because you're like, hey, I need to get back on track. I need to rededicate my life. Who else? Come on, raise your hand. Is there anybody else? Pastor Izzy, I'm tired of feeling this way. I need help. I don't want, I don't want what, whatever the enemy has for me. I want what God has for me. I want to be on the winning team. Is that anybody else? Just raise your hand and put it right back down. I see that. It's awesome. Here's what we're going to do. Let's stand. Everybody, let's stand. Let's stand across this place. We're going to repeat this prayer. And if you didn't raise your hand because you were scared, I want you to know there's nothing to be scared about. You're in, you're in the presence of God, and you're in the presence of family that love you. So maybe you didn't raise your hand, but I want to give you an opportunity to pray this prayer out loud. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you were to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Christ died. Rose again, you'd be saved. Be saved. So let's repeat after me. Let's do this. Together, together. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, it's me. I came here tonight just to see what you were about. And now I'm here having to make a decision. I understand that in my life, there are a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of trouble. And I realize I can't do this on my own anymore. I recognize tonight that I need help that I need you, that I need Jesus in my heart, in my mind, in my life. So tonight, I confess with my mouth that your son Jesus died on the cross carrying my sins, and he died and was buried, but on the third day was resurrected by your glory and power and right now, that same Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. I believe he died, but I believe he lives. And because of that confession, I'm saved. I'm delivered because I believe. I believe in you. I may not understand you, but tonight I choose you. Come into my heart, come into my life, be my Lord and my Savior, in Jesus' name. And everyone says, come on, would you give it up for those who prayed that prayer for the first time? Come on, that's awesome. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's amazing. Hey, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time tonight, I want to say welcome to the family of God. Welcome to eternal life. 
The angels are rejoicing on your behalf. Students, God is doing something awesome in the life of this church. And God is doing something awesome in the life of this youth ministry. I've been, I've been on fire for you guys. And I can't wait for the rest of this summer. I can't wait for the rest of this summer. Now, you may be seated. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I want you to come find me after service. Maybe you should have raised your hand and you didn't. Come find me. Come find one. All my leaders, raise your hand. Find one of my leaders. They kind of look like you, but a little bit older, all right? <laughs> they want to pray for you. They want to talk to you. Have you been enjoying this study in Psalm 63? I have. I want to say this. I want to say this before we go, because I'm doing great on time. I'm doing great on time. Look at that. I want to say this. I want to say this. The data and the stats say that youth ministries experience loss in the summer. They, kids stop coming to church. Now, people go on vacations, but the reality is, is there's things out there that are more fun and more interesting than apparently church. But I know that this is the best place to be on a Thursday night. I don't want to be anywhere else. You're like, Pastor Izzy, you get paid to be here. That is true. But, but I really don't want to be anywhere else. Summer 23, Summer Nights at Excel, that is us trying to compete with Six Flags, right? That's trying to compete with going to Florida and Disney World, right? That is us keeping the doors of this church open and wanting to give you something to do in the summer. And so I highly encourage you, come on out. Don't just invite your friend. Don't just invite your neighbor. Invite your neighborhood. It's a perfect time. It's a perfect time for us disciples of Jesus to evangelize. What do I mean by that? It's a perfect time for us to invite friends that normally wouldn't come to a service like this. But when you say burgers, they'll be there. When you say pool party, they'll be there. When you say Jersey night and they like, they, they're a sports fanatic, they'll be there. So summer nights at Excel, they're for you, but they are for your friends. It's for your friends. So please, come on out. It's going to be a great time. You really don't want to miss it, and I will see you there. I know Excel is going to show up and show it's going to be a great time. I want to also give you all a sneak peek. Uh, uh, Pastor Ara, thank you for playing for us. Thank you. Thank you, Ara. Thank you. Thank you for ministering to us via the keys, making me sound way more spiritual.